This is Forced Migration Review, Volume 61, June 2019. Principled Humanitarian Assistance and Non-State Armed Groups by Ruta Nimkar, Viren Falcao, Matthew Tebbit, and Emily Savage. The humanitarian community needs to develop a better shared understanding of how to provide principled assistance in areas controlled by prescribed groups. The principles of humanity, impartiality, neutrality, and independence are intended to enable, characterize, and guide the delivery of humanitarian assistance. However, as conflicts grow more complex, interpretations of humanitarian principles are being questioned, particularly in areas under the control or influence of prescribed non-state armed groups, NSAGs. Delivery of aid in these areas may clash or be perceived to clash with principles of public accountability and transparency, principles which are paramount for many donor states. In several recent conflicts, particularly in protracted conflicts such as those in Syria, Afghanistan, Iraq, and Somalia, end note one, the most vulnerable people are located in areas which are or have been, end note two, controlled or heavily influenced by NSAGs such as the Islamic State, Al-Qaeda, and Al-Shabaab, and their affiliates. NSAGs such as these have been designated as terrorist groups by donor governments, and in some cases also by the UN. To reach the populations at risk, however, humanitarian actors need to engage with NSAGs, often through remote operations or through overcoming access restrictions. Engagement, therefore, entails an increased risk of aid diversion in a context where there are limited guidelines for acceptable degrees of risk. Recent compliance developments designed to ensure that aid supports the public good include tightening of anti-terrorism restrictions and reinforcing financial controls. In practice, these have reduced the ability of non-governmental organizations, NGOs, to reach the most vulnerable in large part due to increased risk aversion and lack of clarity around the precise nature of the rules and regulations. Civilians in areas heavily influenced or controlled by NSAGs are frequently worse off than civilians in other areas due to the general lack of goods and services and the specific protection risks affecting vulnerable populations, including targeting of religious or ethnic minorities. Markets are disrupted because of obstructions in the transport network, such as fees being demanded at checkpoints. Supply chain difficulties are often exacerbated by the fact that NSAGs do not prioritize civilians in the distribution of goods. Services are halted due to reductions in government personnel and uncertainty surrounding political power dynamics and control. Overall, interruptions in markets and services have a disproportionate effect on the most vulnerable, as the poor are less likely to be able to afford price increases. In some cases, NSAGs may take measures that reduce the well-being of the most vulnerable, for example by levying informal taxes on civilians or by excluding particular groups, often religious and ethnic minorities, from accessing goods and services. Provision of impartial needs-based assistance requires humanitarians to take active measures to reach populations in areas controlled by NSAGs. How do we negotiate access? Humanitarian agencies are accustomed to working on humanitarian access issues in a variety of contexts. Several policies and guidelines have been developed by donors, such as Swiss Solidarity and the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, and by individual NGOs, and include mention of negotiating access with NSAGs. 
In practice, negotiation may include measures that are at the edge of compliance and transparency rules. For example, trusted negotiators. Many negotiators are those with strong, typically familial links to NSAGs and are naturally, therefore, unlikely to pass donor checks designed to ensure that staff do not have links to a prescribed group. Checkpoint fees. Physical access to areas controlled by NSAGs is often controlled by a series of checkpoints. To pass these checkpoints, humanitarian actors or contractors engaged by them often need to pay to be included on an access list and then to pay small additional fees at individual checkpoints. Humanitarian actors can transfer risk by having suppliers transport goods, but the outcome is the same. Procurement processes. The number of suppliers in these areas is often limited, and those that are present often have limited literacy skills. NGOs and UN agencies have comprehensive procurement procedures, and potential suppliers therefore need to complete complex registration and tender forms, and present business licenses of registration, such as a tax number. In general, very few suppliers have this capacity, and those that do are often linked to NSAGs, either through payment of facilitation fees or through familial links. As such, following the required procedure often means accepting diversion through a third party. Access negotiations. Negotiations often involve fielding requests from NSAGs that would divert resources. Common requests include adding family members to beneficiary lists, providing assistance to privileged ethnic groups, and providing assistance that can be diverted by armed forces. Often, NSAGs ask to access or vet beneficiaries. What risks are there? Current procedures and protocols around access negotiation involve significant risks for humanitarian actors, donors, and beneficiaries. Field actors do put mitigation measures in place, but these measures are sporadically applied. Some of the primary risks include Reputational risks. At the field level, hiring the wrong negotiator, working with the wrong supplier, or the geographic location of aid provision may lead to a perception that the humanitarian actor is biased in favor of the NSAG. In turn, this may lead to reprisals by government authorities in other areas, distrust from target communities, and challenges in coordination and resource sharing with other actors. Financial risks. Humanitarian actors face finance-related compliance risks. For instance, attempts to widen supplier bases may result in incomplete or incorrect paperwork. This in turn may generate a situation in which an audit identifies disallowed costs. This may leave humanitarian actors with fewer resources to reach out to vulnerable populations and may undermine their ability to secure funding in the future. Risks to national and international staff. Hiring staff with close links with NSAGs may offer some advantages of access to and acceptance by target communities, but also comes with risks, including the possibility of these staff deliberately excluding certain beneficiaries. It might also be risky to terminate the contracts of these staff if performance issues are identified or a code of conduct is breached, as the staff may engage in reprisals. Compliance and Diversion Major humanitarian donors have explicit commitments to humanitarian values, such as the importance of providing needs-based assistance, and statements made by major donors on access suggest implicit acceptance of compromises made to gain access to areas controlled by NSAGs. Equally important for donors are accountability and transparency. 
States which provide humanitarian assistance have an obligation to their taxpayers to ensure assistance is appropriately and transparently used, and this may mean stricter and more administratively burdensome requirements surrounding funding use and documentation, and that the compromises used by practitioners to gain access become open to question. While these tensions are not new, the proliferation and increasing influence of armed groups have brought these issues to the fore. In recent years, compliance restrictions have become more acute due to several factors, including counterterrorism legislation. Donors expect NGOs to ensure compliance with the extensive counterterrorism legislation that has been enacted since 2001. If humanitarian actors become aware that donor funds are being used by prescribed NSAGs, they have an obligation to notify their donors. These obligations are relatively clear on paper, but become murky in a context where humanitarian actors use negotiation tools, such as the ones described above or when the lines between civilian and NSAG affiliates are blurred. Shifts in financial regulation. Following the 2008 financial crisis, banking regulations tightened, restricting the operations of some money transfer agents, hawalas, used to transfer money to countries with disrupted financial and regulatory systems. It is frequently unclear how hawalas gain access to areas controlled by NSAGs, yet NGOs are often reliant on them for implementing cash programming as well as paying staff salaries and other operational costs, frequently channeling millions of dollars through these systems annually. Monitoring of aid. Since 2010, there's been increasing monitoring of aid organizations, with more audits and with significant penalties being imposed for infringements. Restrictions have grown to the point that major donors are having public discussions about putting geographic restrictions on aid, reducing the capacity of aid agencies to operate in certain areas, and putting the principle of neutrality at risk. Ways forward. In an environment of murky choices, humanitarian actors and donors need to build a broad-based and steadily more explicit consensus regarding what constitutes acceptable risk when negotiating with NSAGs. We need to foster an environment that facilitates an honest appraisal of issues and challenges, encourages reporting, and supports collective discussion. We propose research into access and dissemination of best practices. Some research has been conducted, including the Secure Access in Volatile Environments, SAVE program, operated by Humanitarian Outcomes, end note three, but additional initiatives are needed. Research should have two components, identification of effective factors that promote access and resolve contradictions between access and compliance, and identification of activities or initiatives that are unacceptable. Standard Operating Procedures, SOPs. One of the most significant challenges for humanitarian personnel in the field is understanding how to translate policy and guidelines into practice. The parameters differ significantly, depending on country context, and, in some situations, local contexts. Explicit discussions between donor groups and field actors and agreement on common SOPs will help to remove some of the uncertainty around implementation. Moreover, it will help ensure standardization between different field actors, supporting a more consistent approach to delivering aid. Collective positioning. Experience points to the strength and utility of humanitarian stakeholders agreeing collective positioning. This would be best systematized through creating or investing in increasing the capacity of a neutral entity able to represent and lead on negotiating and sustaining access. This entity must coordinate with humanitarian agencies and engage local partners to identify and report challenges and to build a strong evidence base.
Global Compact on Humanitarian Principles. Initiatives such as the World Humanitarian Summit and the Grand Bargain have succeeded in clarifying several complex issues facing the humanitarian community and uniting the international community around core commitments for change. A similar global compact process could be initiated for the principled delivery of humanitarian aid in areas controlled by NSAGs, where concerns about humanitarian principles may help to build consensus around central issues such as access and diversion. By Ruta Nimkar at r-u-t-a-s-n-i-m-k-a-r at gmail.com and Viren Falcao at v-i-r-e-n dot f-a-l-c-a-o at gmail.com and Matthew Tebbit at m-a-t-t-t-e-b-b-u-t-t at live.co.uk and Emily Savage at emily.morgan.savage at gmail.com. Ruda Nimkar, Matthew Tebbit, and Emily Savage are currently affiliated with Meraki Labs at www.meraki-labs. Org. The views expressed in this article are the author's personal views and do not necessarily represent the views of any agency. End note 1. All authors worked in Iraq in 2017 to 2018 for the Danish Refugee Council and also have experience in all other countries including Afghanistan, Somalia, Syria, Sudan, and South Sudan. End note 2. Loss of control of a territory still presents challenges due to the potential for dispersal of members of such groups. Endnote 3. www.saveresearch.net FMR is an open access publication. You are free to download, copy, distribute, or link to this article, as long as it is for non-commercial purposes and the author and FMR are attributed. All articles published in FMR are licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license.